Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the burner, less lethal pistol launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks, and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. Hey, we're all looking to save, especially on medical bills, but where do you start? Now, unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings, well, it can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and they flag errors like overbilling or wrong codes and fraud. And you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, saving starts with knowing where to look. Go to their website. It's healthlock.com today before you see any other healthcare provider. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. And welcome back, everybody. Hour three of the Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-7326. 800-941-SEAN. We will take your calls. But first, we have somebody on the line that obviously takes precedent in this situation. And I, I say this every time I fill in for Sean, but, but I'm serious about this because uh, always judge me by my actions. Whenever Linda says, hey, who do you want on the show? The first two people I always name are Governor Mike Huckabee and Carol Roth. And she will she could confirm this uh, because I think they're excellent guests and they can talk about anything. They're like Swiss Army knives. Right. So I could throw any topic at the governor in this case, for example. And he'll be like, ah, piece of cake. Come on, Conch. This isn't softball. This isn't T-ball. Give me a give me give me something to get me off guard. But it's, it's impossible because the man he reads a lot, tweets a lot. That's for sure. And uh, just earlier, uh, Governor Huckabee, I should say, actually, this was yesterday. You talked about cocaine being found at the White House. And you asked, you know, are reporters actually going to dig and demand answers? And you say, no, of course they won't. They will take their little treats like good puppies and heal appropriately. So sure enough, we saw Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary before, up at that podium. And let's just say if this was a Trump White House and that was, say, Sarah Sanders as the press secretary, why do I think the press would be more like a dog with a Frisbee and not letting go? Here, it was basically like, "Okay, we accept your answer. Thank you. Moving on. Nothing to see here. Welcome, by the way. Well, Joe, great to be with you. I don't think I've ever been called a Swiss Army knife. I have been called rather dull. So I, I just well, assume that if I'm a Swiss Army knife, I really need to be sharpened up. But uh, what a great <laughs> joy to be able to visit with you. I always enjoy our conversations. I consider you one of the most uh, significant voices that I ever see on Fox. Wow. And uh, love it when you get the host for Sean Hannity. Um, it's just a pleasure to be with you. It's a, it's a labor of love, uh, no question about it. And I, so, I, well, what's going on with this whole thing? I mean, cocaine found in a work area, right? The Secret Service is investigating. Uh, the son's the, the son of the president is a former addict, and coke was uh, the flavor of choice, so to speak. So, I, I guess my question is: 
if there are cameras everywhere in the White House, this investigation should wrap up pretty quickly, I would imagine, because it's all going to be caught on tape and that should be released to the public. But I guess I'm dreaming, aren't I? I'm sure somebody put the big magnet right by where they keep those tape uh, machines going. Oh. All been erased. We'll never see it. And I don't know. They'll probably have a pre-dawn raid on Joe Biden's Delaware home to see if there's any evidence that they can find. Come on. You and I both know they're not going to really try to figure this out. Uh, and the press will let them get away with it. That's what's so crazy. And it just makes no sense to me that there's not a new level of curiosity. To be fair, there are two or three reporters in that room. They'll ask the hard questions. They'll keep trying to get answers. But Corrine Jean-Pierre is always going to give them the same. Uh, You'll have to talk to my colleagues at the Justice Department, or I don't have anything else for you on that, and never really answer the questions. And the rest of the reporters just sit there and give a tongue bath to Joe Biden's administration, and we're never going to get the kind of... uh, accountability that we deserve by the way i've got some breaking news for you joe this is pretty pretty big just announced that there's a new partnership between joe biden's white house and the disney corporation they're going to come out with a new movie and it's called blow white and the seven snorts (laughs) so that'll be uh going to big screen theaters i'm sure and it'll bomb as the other Disney movies of this year have been. Like Indiana Jones, something like a $400 million budget, and uh, it's, I don't even think it's captured half of that yet, right? I mean, that's, uh, who, who do, they don't want to go see an 80-year-old, uh, you know, action hero, go figure. Uh, we're talking to uh, Governor Mike Huckabee. Yeah, let's play Cut 44, uh, kids, shall we? Because this is an example of Kareem Jean-Pierre being asked a very obvious question or at least what the answer is obvious and and here's the answer uh, that that cringe gives go ahead cut 44 go if we have it if we don't no big deal we're all good everything's fine this is called stretching in the radio business linda we'll have to come back to that okay very good do we have instead cut 81 because i think this one is pretty significant this is cut 81 just to underscore exactly what we're dealing with as far as president biden is concerned and two-thirds of Americans now saying that if he does not have the physical nor mental acuity at this point as far as that is concerned. But, uh, you know, we're having a little trouble with our, um, with our audio right now, so no big deal. We're, we're all good. I've long said. Oh, here we go. I mean this. I was on the Tibetan Plateau with Xi Jinping. I traveled 17,000 miles with him. I've spoken with him more than any other head of state. Because it started when I was vice president, and President Hu was the president, and he was the vice president. We knew he was going to be successful. It was inappropriate for Barack to spend that time with him, but I, I spent a lot of time with him. I met alone with him, just he and I, and a simultaneous interpreter, 68 times, 68 hours, 68 times, more than 68 hours. By the way, I turned in all my notes. Um, you got to love the laughter at the end. So if we're, we're unpacking that, Governor, 68 hours, 68 times Joe Biden says he met with President Xi. That's uh, mathematically impossible, is it not? Uh, it's pretty doubtful. Uh, I'm not sure Joe Biden has met with Jill 68 hours. Uh, it's just really another example of when Joe Biden is off script, doesn't have the teleprompter, and he just goes off into la-la land, and people scratch their heads and wonder, what does that mean? It's like when he, uh, you know, at the end of a press conference on guns said, God save the queen, man, and <laughs> right. walked 
way, having, of course, been led away by somebody who helped him to know which direction to go. A lot of this stuff is troubling because it just doesn't make sense. And it's almost like he got bopped in the head just as he walked in to give a speech. So uh, who knows what that meant? Who knows where those numbers came from? I, I, I just I mean, it's just hard to even comprehend that this is the president. He's sitting there and he's just one finger touch away from that button that blows it all up. And I'm thinking, please, God, don't let him get near that box. Yeah, that, that's why it's, it's, it's you know, you can make fun of it. We have some, we could have some fun with it. But in the end, again, this isn't the, the golf starter at your local country club. This is the commander in chief. And we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, Governor, I wonder if it matters. And, and this is what I mean. And Mitt Romney got a lot of flack for this in 2012 when he ran for president. But he said, I know. And this was at like a private dinner and somebody caught it on tape. Forty seven percent of the country will never vote for me. They'll never vote for me because they're given free stuff. And I wonder, in terms of Joe Biden, in other words, I, I, I read about this focus group recently, and they asked these 10 Biden voters from 2020, do you think that Joe Biden is a serious uh, leader? Uh, do you think that he's a strong leader? And they answered no, all 10 of them. Then they asked them, okay, do you think that Joe Biden should run for re-election 2024? All 10 answered no. Do you think, are you comfortable with Joe Biden being president until he's age 86 if he were to win another term? All 10 emphatically answered no. Who are you going to vote for in 2024? All 10 said Joe Biden. So I wonder, you know, do people just vote for, for parties and they don't care who the person is at the top of the ticket because they're they're voting for, I don't know, I, I guess they're just voting for an ideology and not so much a person anymore. And I do think a lot of it is they just lean to the left and figure who's on our side, and it's Joe Biden right now, and so they vote for him. But I think they indicate by their answers they don't think he's really running the show. They don't honestly believe he's competent or capable of doing it. But they also assume that whoever is pulling the strings is pulling them to the left, and that's what matters to them. They want free stuff. And they want uh, a government that will dismantle a capitalistic economic system. I'm not sure if they ever understand what we would put in its place. But if you ever talk to people, as you do, who have grown up in socialist regimes and they come to America for freedom, they look at us and say, have you people lost your minds? We spent our lives getting away from the insanity of socialism and your country is moving desperately toward it. And to what purpose? And it really doesn't make sense to anybody who has seen what socialism does to a people, not just to an economy, what it does in destroying people's sense of ambition and drive and hope and a sense that life is worth really working hard and achieve something great. Because why? doesn't matter. Whatever you do, it's going to be taken from you and handed to somebody who got up at the crack of noon. And, uh, you know, called it a day at 2 p.m. As they say in the White House, they called a lid on it. A lot of lids. That, that's certainly for sure. We're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. He's the host of Huckabee on TBN. That's Saturday at 8 and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Obviously a Fox News contributor uh, like the guy here behind the mic and an author and a bass guitarist and a damn good one. Uh, Governor, I, I wonder, as far as the Republican side and the Republican nomination, you see Donald Trump is ahead by secretariat uh, proportions at this point, it, it appears, on his rivals. And 
Governor Ron DeSantis, I understand why he jumped in, uh, because he won Florida by 20 points and he won blue counties like Miami-Dade and Palm Beach. And he's racked up a lot of victories down in Florida and turning that state from kind of a 50-50 state in terms of who wins it, one or two points either way, uh, to a ruby red state, much like Ohio has also gone in that direction as well. But then I see these other people jumping in on the Republican side, including my governor, my former governor, and Chris Christie. And I'm old enough to remember when he left office, his approval rating was 15 percent in my state and everybody said he missed his time not running in 2012 instead he ran when you ran in 2016 which was four years late then now we're at 2023 2024 so he's literally almost 11 12 years late so obviously he knows he can't win so why is he in this at this point is it just narcissism because he's mad that trump didn't make him uh ag uh because he wanted that job really bad or remember christie was heading up his transition team trumps and then after trump won uh, he got fired like five minutes later, Christie did, in favor of Mike Pence. So I wonder, is this just a personal thing? And he knows the media is going to put him on the air a lot because, wow, he's like the, the Michael Avenatti of, of Republican candidates at this point. But as long as he bashes Trump, then that's good for ratings. I mean, is that the thought process with, with Christie? Do, do you know him? And, and can you explain it? You know, I know Chris, and I really can't figure out his uh, M.O. in this. The only thing I can assume is that he's uh, deeply hurt for whatever it is he didn't get, the AG job or something. Um, and this is his opportunity to try to even it up. But it, it doesn't bode well. Nobody wants to vote for somebody because the campaign is built on, I hate the other guy. I mean, that, that doesn't really help people sitting around the kitchen table having dinner tonight saying, let's vote for Christie. He really doesn't like Trump. Oh, that, that settles it. And it's almost... <laughs> The Lincoln Project goons are the ones who may be financing the Christie campaign for the sole purpose of just going out and firing bullets at Donald Trump every day. But it does get him on television. CNN can't get enough of him. Uh, MSNBC can't get enough of him. Uh, The big networks will happily put him on. But that's true of anybody that will just go out and say Donald Trump's a terrible person and he shouldn't be elected. That'll get you put on every station. You know, if you said that about Joe Biden, it keeps you off every station. So just keep clearly. That's very well said. And we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee, obviously, is the host of Huckabee on TBN. And, Governor, I just wonder, should I move to Nashville? Because I know you do the show out of there. (laughs) And my wife really loved the show and. I don't know. They have, I think, no income tax in Tennessee, right? And it's nice weather, and I can watch volunteer games. And, you know, is is that the right move, you think, out of New Jersey? I think it is. Uh, You better hurry. You know, the uh, the real estate is going quickly because people are leaving California, and they're leaving New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and place in Illinois. uh, Every week in our studio audience, without exception, we have four or five couples from California who either have just moved there or they are in Nashville looking for property so that they can relocate. And I call them the California refugees. And I always say, would you please tell the last family out to turn off the lights and save (laughs) what little electricity is left on the California grid? Because all the smart people are getting the heck out of there when they can. And if they're not going to Tennessee, they should go to Arkansas because they have a great governor there. And they got Ozark. I watched the show. It looked, that's a beautiful place. Who knew? But uh, anyway, well, go ahead. Is. Sorry. Uh, it's a great, beautiful state. And real estate's very affordable in Arkansas. And, and interestingly, a lot of people are coming here from across the country. But we do tell them this. If you come from a liberal state and you have those ideologies in your wheelhouse, 
leave them behind. Uh, don't come and bring crazy politics to a state that we're trying to keep sane. And that's the welcome mat right there. Governor Mike Cupping, he is the host of Huckabee on TVN. That's Saturdays, 8 and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Sundays at 9. You see him all over Fox News Channel. Governor, thanks so much. Always enjoy our conversations. And belated happy 4th. Thank you so much. So great to talk to you every time. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And back with more of the Sean Hannity Show, we got Paul Morrow coming up. He's a retired NYPD inspector, and he has some thoughts about that cocaine that was found at the White House over the weekend. You're going to want to stick around for that. Joe Concher for Sean Hannity. Back with more. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Joe Concha in for Sean Hannity. Let's go to our busy phones. I'm going to go to Vermont because I love Long Trail Beer and Mindy Joe. Mindy Joe, how are you? Hi, how are you? Great. I'm, I could use a Long Trail right about now, to be honest with you. But uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to put you on the clock because we have what's called a hard out. So you have 30 seconds to make your case uh, around uh, Ron DeSantis turning his back on Trump and he will turn on the USA. You have 30 seconds. Go. I just don't know why people don't that if he's not loyal to the person that literally put him where he is because he wasn't like prior, how is people seeing that he's going to be loyal to us? How is he going to choose the American people when he's not choosing Trump when Trump made him who he is? That's interesting. Thank you, Mindy Joe. I appreciate it. Happy uh, belated 4th of July. I guess the thought process is that DeSantis said, all right, just because you endorsed me five, six years ago, that I should have free will since then, I suppose. But right now, Trump is cleaning his clock in, in the polls, and that's uh, something that Ron DeSantis is going to have to try to figure out. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Sean Hannity. Back with more in just a moment. I know that 
Tom, I mean, we're on in every city and town in the country. So Tom Cruise probably is listening somewhere in some car right now. Where he's probably jumping out of a plane and he's got it on in the background. And my question for, for you, uh, Tom, is what is the secret to your freakish youth? That movie was 34. What was that? Top Gun, the original Top Gun. That was Kenny Loggins, right? So we're talking 1986, if I'm doing the math right. I don't know, 38 years ago? And, and you look at the side-by-side comparisons, there's not much of a difference. You know? I, I, that, that's all I want to know. And I just read something. It's funny you played that. That wasn't uh, planned out or anything like that. Tom Cruise just announced that he wants to do the Mission Impossible movies until he's 80. Because when you're 80 and you look 46, you can get away with it. I just, I, I know it's Hollywood and I know he gets all this different kind of work, I'm sure. But usually you could tell, like, when people get work and you're like, oh, boy, that's obvious, right? Because the forehead doesn't move anymore and there's no lines or anything. With him, he still looks natural, I think. It helps to stay in shape the way he does, too, right? I mean, he weighs like half of what I do and we're basically the same height, which really pisses me off. Anyway, the point is, Linda, I think we should get to our uh, our guest, shouldn't we? Before we go off on a tangent, of course. So let me tell you uh, how the uh, cake is made, so to speak, as far as this next guest. So I was on with Bill Hemmer uh, earlier on Fox, and we did a segment on how all the Republican candidates and, and even Robert F. Kennedy Jr. are trying to show that they are younger and more athletic than the people that they're trying to unseat at the top of the ticket. Uh, right, right, exactly. Uh, just like Tom Cruise. Uh, and it, so then, like, Vivek Ramaswamy has played tennis with Vivek, right? And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is literally doing push-ups, and the guy is jacked. He's 69 years old, but he looks really good. And the point is that they're trying to say is, like, look, these guys are old, Trump and Biden, and you should vote for us because we're a younger and a newer generation. And, and I think it works with Biden. It doesn't work with Trump because with Trump, he's obviously aging well, and Biden is not aging well. And if you want to ask about Donald Trump's energy level and, and bring up age, not one vote is going to change as a result of that. But anyway, I'm in the green room, and then I get to talking to Paul Murrow, who is a retired NYPD inspector. He's also an attorney, so he's a, he's got a, a double uh, double ammunition here as far as what he can contribute, and he's the founder of OpsDesk.org. So then I said, you know, what do you think about this whole cocaine thing going on in the White House? And he gave such a great answer around it. I'm like, hey, you want to come on Sean Hannity's show later? I'll talk to Linda. We'll get you on at 530 Eastern. And sure enough, here he is. So, Paul, uh, thanks for joining on short notice, and welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Of course. So, Paul, uh, we, we talked about it before, but I'd love for you to share uh, with, with the millions listening right now. As far as cocaine found in the White House, this should be a pretty easy investigation to wrap up, shouldn't it? I mean, certainly theoretically it should be. So, you know, interestingly, the narrative has been changing as this story has broken, and it gets uh, a little bit more distant from White House personnel each time. First, we were told the library, which would be in the East Wing, which would really narrow down who has access. Then it became a work area, and then they seem to have decided, okay, that might be a little too narrow and maybe too incriminating for somebody, and so now it is a heavily trafficked area that both the public and White House personnel have access to. Now, taking them at their word, let's say that's true. Any place that has public access then, almost by definition, is going to have to have video cameras. And, of course, the White House must have an internal video system. It's just common sense. This happened on a weekend. I don't know how many people are there on a weekend, but it shouldn't be too too many, especially going into a holiday weekend. Yep. So if it's a member of the public, you should be able to get it on video. If it's not a member of the public, then there's a whole methodology here that the U.S. Secret Service can do that we've seen in some of the recent criminal cases 
that should really reveal it. And probably the simplest is just collect all their phones, dump the phones, because they're all going to have government phones. Government phones, you don't have any expectation of privacy. The government owns them. You're using them for work. You don't even need a search warrant. Secret Service can grab all those phones in one shot, do it fast before anybody messes around with the apps and any of the data, and you'll be able to get the positioning data. And you'll be, you'll be able to tell who was in that area over the weekend, Start doing some interviews, and uh, you know you'll 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 get there. Chances are, once you get halfway into this, wherever it is, it's going to pass up. Probably, yeah, because there's an easy, an easy, easy trail to, to follow here. And we're talking to Paul Morrow. He is a retired NYPD inspector and an attorney. And do you think once this is wrapped up, or somebody comes forward, is there any sort of legal recourse as far as Freedom of Information Act and actually releasing the video to the public like or does the secret service say no i'm sorry this is this is our stuff and we're not going to allow the public to see it well one of the caveats for any law enforcement agency and they do use them i've used it is that ongoing investigation and if the investigation is ongoing nobody's been arrested yet or even if the prosecution hasn't been completed you can use that and and legitimately use it because you don't want to prejudice the investigation. You don't potentially want to prejudice the jury pool, just theoretically, if we're ever going to go to trial, which I'm sure this won't. But those are the reasons why you hold stuff back and you don't just put it out onto the media and everybody sees it. Um, but assuming that they did wrap it up quite quickly, uh, there would be no reason if the person if it was completely adjudicated. It is a misdemeanor both federally and in the District of Columbia. Really? For mere possession of cocaine. Yeah, both the misdemeanors, both federally and on, on the uh, District of Columbia level. So, huh. you know, it, it's not like it's a heavy, heavy sanction, but nonetheless, it's crime. And, uh, you know, that's one of the complications for the White House here, because I know it's obvious and it's probably not the case, but let's say it was Hunter, which is, of course, the supposition here. Well, he's under he's in the process of getting a plea deal, if he commits another crime while the plea deal is pending, you really can't go through with that plea deal because he's demonstrated that he's an incorrigible. Yeah. So it's a real dilemma for the White House were it to turn out to be him. And I'm sure that's something that's on their mind because he had been there. And we're talking to the former retired NYPD inspector, Paul Murrow. I guess if you were running this investigation, would the first person that you would ask to speak to be Hunter Biden? Well, it depends on who was there over that weekend, and you'd have to look at the logs. You know, there were he was there two logs. days yeah, before that. That's that's two all we know before. for now. Uh-huh. Right. So, so exactly. So you'd have to look. Okay, who was there? Can you pinpoint when there was a search of the area, a scan of the area, people walking around when you knew it wasn't there? So you can try to narrow it down when it was put there, right? So once you ascertain that, then you'd have to say, okay, well, you know, who do we who do we look at uh, relative to that? I would try not to say. Okay, well, look, obviously it's Hunter Biden. We've got to go talk to him. I would actually prefer, I would order, yeah, if I'm running the investigation, that we do it very methodically and not narrow it down to any one person so there's no argument about there being a rush to judgment or anything like that and go where the data leads you. And the first place you'd go is you'd start pulling all the video because that's really what's going to solve this. And then, as I said, the phones and then interviews, you know, start separating people and talking to them before everybody gets their story straight. And you should be able to solve this. If this thing doesn't get solved... Let me just say that, first of all, it's it's either incompetence or, frankly, it's a cover-up. Cover-up, yeah. You know, the means to solve this are there. They should be able to roll this thing up, and they should be able to roll it up quickly. We shouldn't let them just, you know, push this down range that we all supposedly forget about it. What do you think would happen, Paul, in this in this situation? How do, how do you see it playing out? I think, ultimately, they're going to probably, if I had to guess, you put me on a spot, so yeah. I'll, I'll guess. Um, I Linda did, it, actually. She told me to ask that question. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I mean, in all in seriousness, I, I, I don't really know, but if I had to guess, 
I don't think it's going to come back to Hunter Biden. I think what may have happened here is somebody entered the White House with it and then realized, oh, God, I got this on me. Let me ditch it. And uh, somebody ditched it in an area. If it, if what they're telling, if the facts are accurate, you know, if what they're telling us is true that it was found in an area that's heavily trafficked, and you know, I'm sorry to say that, but I'm skeptical. I've just I've lost all faith in what I hear coming out of this White House. I can't take them at their word. After Crossfire Hurricane, the Durham report, and some of this stuff, our worst fears have become realized, and so I find it very difficult to take them at their word. The weaponization of the Department of Justice, FBI, polls, polls show that you're not alone, Paul, that the majority of Americans, a solid majority, simply don't have trust in these institutions that we would never dream of not not trusting. In other words, you bought up the FBI when I was a kid and you wanted to become an agent. You know, you thought like, all right, those are the good guys and there's very few bad apples there. And now it's and again, Sean says it all the time. I'll repeat it. Not the rank and file, not the people on the ground. They're doing the hard work. We're talking at the top. It has certainly become political. And we're talking to Paul Morrow right now. He's a retired NYPD inspector, attorney and founder of OpsDesk.org. We saw horrific Horrific weekend. And, and, and that's a relative term these days because it seems like every weekend's a horrific weekend in this country, particularly in, in cities like Chicago, uh, Minneapolis, Atlanta. You could go down the line, but there were just mass shootings everywhere. And I just wonder, is this the new normal? And, and why are we at this point? Is it because of district attorneys ultimately being too soft, not enforcing the law? Because it's not police officers. They're doing the arrest. The problem is the violent criminals are getting back out onto the streets. So ultimately, this comes down to district attorneys, I would think, more than anything, as far as this crime problem just completely out of control now, Paul. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, if you look at the common denominator, they're almost always going to be Soros-supported uh, district attorneys who are following this all-carrot-no-stick approach to urban crime. And you need both. Nobody's arguing that you don't want to constantly look at reforms in the criminal justice system. You can always make tweaks. Everybody gets that. But the idea that you've completely removed any sanctions for bad behavior, you know, every time they talk about guns in this country, you know, and, and, and I'm going to go to Philadelphia here in Krasner's just egregious press conference yesterday that he made all about him. It was the most grandstanding, nauseating press conference I've ever seen Agreed. in reaction to a mass shooting. He should really be ashamed of himself. And he talks about guns, guns, guns. Never talks about the fact that 3% of the gun killings in this country are from long guns. And that's what he was talking about. He was going on about the AR-15. What that means by definition is that the other 97% are almost certainly going to be handguns. And where are those uh, crimes occurring? In our inner cities with illegal handguns. And the laws for the sanctioning that, for going at that, are on the books. You just won't use them. And you notice when they talk about successes, they talk about how many guns they seized. They don't talk about the gun arrests. And so it's just a way for them to obfuscate what's really going on, which is they're not rolling up these gun crews. They should, you know, in Baltimore, for instance, after that tra tragic weekend, they start talking about, well, we sent out the Peace Mobile to liaise with the community to make everybody feel better. The Peace Mobile? You gotta be kidding me. You got bodies lying all over the place. Sent out the Peace Mobile? How about the Indictment Mobile? Right. You know, and it was the Rico Mobile. All right. And, and that was coming from law enforcement. So, you know, when you hear that kind of thing, when the chief of police comes out and says, well, we're deploying the Peace Mobile, and you got two dead and five wounded in one location, you got to say to yourself, you know, well, who's really running the ship here? And what and who is are the mayors in Demron cities who don't want enforcement. They've all bought into this progressive just lunacy that you can just ignore this stuff, and with a hug, it's all going to go away. And at some point, they're going to have to wake up. It just doesn't work. I don't know by what metric they think this is succeeding. And we're talking to Paul Morrow. I, last year in, in New York City, 
Lee Zeldin, a, a perfectly legitimate, reasonable candidate, can't paint him as an extremist or anything like that. Uh, and he still lost to this this empty suit, Kathy Hochul, who barely campaigned, didn't want to debate. So you, I, I blame the mayors and I blame the district attorney, sure, but we somehow keep voting, not we, but we keep voting these people back in despite the conditions on the ground being so horrific. We saw in Chicago where uh, Paul Vallis, who is a Democrat, but he ran on a tough on crime platform and somehow still lost to somebody who was somehow worse than Lori Lightfoot. I, I just wonder, people feel unsafe in their communities. They, they're, they're moving to places like Florida and Texas and Tennessee out of places like San Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago and New York City. Uh, but yet these people somehow keep getting reelected. I, I just do you have any theories on this? Because I can't figure it out. I think the Dems are very good at finding the wedge issue that just, uh, you know, eclipses any other issue. And in uh, New York, relative to the Hockle uh, election that you're talking about, it was abortion. Uh, they played the abortion card and the women's rights card very, very hard. That got out the female vote. Whether you agree with it or not, that's just what happened, Okay. In Chicago, my read was that it was primarily the race card. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been published elsewhere. They're very good at finding the real good wedge issue. They're just better at it than the right is. On the other hand, let's offer a glimmer of hope, because there are signs that some of this stuff is turning around. First of all, you got Chase Boudin, the DA in San Francisco. They booted him out. Yeah. Uh, the St. Louis prosecutor, who was among the worst, they got rid of, she's another Soros prosecutor, they got her to simply resign, okay? They were going to take her law license, one of the things they were trying to do. Oh, wow. In Baltimore, the only person who responded with any alacrity to the incident of the mass shooting was the new district attorney, who is a non-Soros prosecutor, who won over a Soros prosecutor. They got rid of Mobley, the woman that did that case uh, with the, uh, the rough ride. And she's a Soros prosecutor 100%. So there are signs that people are uh, waking up. In Baltimore, the polling showed that the number one issue among African Americans in Baltimore was crime. Wow. So much for it to fund the police. Uh, now it's refund the police. So, the, yeah, I, I guess the, the victories are slowly coming as far as bringing sanity back to our cities and towns across the country. And, Paul, thanks for joining again on short notice. Uh, hopefully we could do it again. And happy belated fourth. And you, Joe. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. We wrap this puppy up on the Sean Hannity Show. Joe Concha in for Mr. Hannity. Back with more in just a moment. More than a feeling. Ah, I'm feeling blue because this is already over this show. That's amazing. Linda, thank you. You're always a pleasure. You were fantastic. Thank you. Is that a bottle of Great Goose in front of you? You know, I only needed it for the second half. I don't want you to be offended by anything you see here through the glass. That is a huge bottle. My goodness I was gracious. very thirsty. Yeah, I could see that. Good for you. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> visit uh, themessenger.com. You can read my column that's up now. Just go to the most popular section because it's number one. Take that. And also, watch Fox News tonight. I will be on Hannity without Sean. Uh, Jason Chaffetz will be hosting. And I'll be doing a segment with, I just got word, with Mike Huckabee, who was one of our guests today. And thanks, obviously, to Carol Roth, who joined us, and Tommy Laren, And we had the aforementioned governor and Paul Murrow and uh, Frank Siller and the rest. I'll be back, hopefully, if Linda will allow it. Bye-bye. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 